0: yes all right let's uh let's pray so we we uh invite your spirit to continue to to move and to work among us and so for that work that only you can do we are dependent and we rely and so uh we invite your spirit and so lord um have your way in this time would you Um, And illuminate your words to us. You are our refuge and our strength, but you're also the one who molds us. And so this morning, we come to be molded and for your image to be shown through us. And so we submit to your word and uh, ask that you would do what none of us can and uh, what none of us can can take credit for so we agree we agree together that your name is blessed and there's none like you continue to reveal that to us this morning and I pray in Jesus name Amen. (laughs) We've been going through our core values, which we do every September, as a way of kind of bringing everyone onto the same page of um, the movement of our church and what we think God is highlighting in different seasons. And this week, we're talking about the value that all of life is worship. And I don't think in my... um, 12 years here, which I just had a work anniversary on LinkedIn, how exciting. That's probably the nerdiest thing I've ever said in my life. Um, I don't think I've ever taught on this value. And so I was actually excited to have the opportunity today to do so. Um, All of life is worship. I'd like for us to read it together. It's gonna be on the screen behind me so that we get a sense um, together of what we're talking about. So all of life is worship. God is good. In response to God's faithfulness, we are compelled to respond with worship, reverence, and praise in all areas of our lives, in work, play, study, prayer, giving, and service. And obviously, those are not the only areas of our lives. Those are just ones that were broken out and highlighted. All of life is worship. So this morning I come to you and all I can bring is my experience. But it makes me some sort of a expert. Not. it's not like I'm an expert in worship. I mean, it's not like I've won any awards for being an expert worshiper. It's not, oh, oh, what what is that? Um, I mean, it's not like. It's not like I've won any awards for being an expert worshiper. (sighs) This is super dusty. (sighs) I don't know where Bo hangs his but mine hangs right in the middle of the wall in my garage. (laughs) And when I cut wood, the sawdust just covers it. So, (laughs) I'm not an expert worshiper. Please accept that and know that. But what I do believe I have expertise in is really trying to connect with God, really trying to connect with God. And so this value that all of life is worship, to me, is a, it's a super important value. Part of it has to do with when you interact with Nate, that the Nate that you see at church is the same Nate that you're gonna work out with at the gym. That it's the same Nate that you're gonna see in my house. It's the same mate that you're gonna see walking at the farmer's market, that there's, that there's a consistency and that there's an integration, that worship isn't something that I do on Sunday and potentially Wednesday, but that worship is actually a lifestyle, and that Jesus talked about worship as being a lifestyle. Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, that's the whole of you, that's all of you, that your strength, that your muchness would be directed towards loving God, that your mind, that your wisdom, that your thinking would actually be directed towards God, that your heart, your affections, the things that you would say that you adore that those would be directed towards God. And there's a lot of great writing out there right now about refusing dualism. I didn't think that you guys would be interested in me talking about refusing dualism. Maybe at some point I can. But the essence is that we don't separate, we don't separate our spiritual from the material. That we would say that actually Jesus is Lord over all of it. And so there is no sacred and secular. There only is all that Jesus is Lord over. And so this idea of living an integrated life where, where worship is something that's a part of every moment of the day. It's not relegated to a location and it's not relegated to a time frame on a certain day. Jesus said, To love the Lord your God with the whole of you. And so we have to refuse that idea of compartmentalizing what worship is. I would say that our worship is really letting the Lord of all be the Lord of all of you. Letting the Lord of all be the Lord of all of me. That there's no parts that are hidden and there's no parts that are set aside for someone else or something else in John chapter 4 if you have your uh, Bibles or pads or phones or whatever John chapter 4 Jesus is having this interesting interaction with a woman and the woman begins to talk to him about worship and says we're not in agreement about worship because your people say that we should worship in this location and my people say that we should worship in this location. And Jesus kind of cuts through the conversation with a very strong statement. And I think it's important for us this morning. I think it actually will be a great framework for us to look at this value. So Jesus says to her, the hour is coming And now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. So worship is not like real estate. It isn't about location, location, location. (laughs) Worship is about... Engagement. Worship is about awareness. Worship is about response to a living and active God with our spirit and in truth. Jesus teaches us that worship is living in a way where we're directing our honesty and our muchness and our affection towards God. And so in our value, when we're talking about that all of life is worship, what we're meaning is this. There's no barrier between what is regarded as sacred and what is secular. That Jesus is Lord over all of it. And that every bit of life can point out and highlight God's goodness and faithfulness. And that we should respond to God's goodness that we should respond to God's faithfulness wherever we are whenever we are aware of it. So it's not something that we wait for on to do on Sunday. If we're driving down the road and we become aware of God's goodness and God's faithfulness, that's the time to respond. If we're sitting at our desk at work and all of a sudden we're overcome with God's goodness and God's faithfulness, that's the time to worship. We should be a people that worship in spirit and truth, and as our value says, that touches all areas of our life, work, school, home, in our play, in our study. That God is present in all those places, and that God is worthy of our adoration in those spaces. So this is what the word worship means, it means worthiness or worth meaning to give at its simplest worth to something. So when we're worshiping, we are giving worth or showing the worthiness of God. So it's no surprise in Romans 12 when Apostle Paul says that all of life is is now to be seen as worship. Paul says, therefore I urge you, brethren, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And the actual word has helped to inform what we would say is liturgy. And so the actual word of this Spiritual act of worship means a living liturgy before God, that our life is a living liturgy, an act of worship. Great talk, right? How many of you guys hate the bridge to the song "Blessed be the Name, Blessed be Your name," by a show of hands? I knew my family would raise their hands. Okay, can you put the bridge up, Robbie? I hope I don't jack you up. The bulbs blew on our projector this morning, just so you guys know. That's why we've got this uh, 1990s cutting edge high school gym set up. (laughs) All right, here's the bridge to blessed be your name. You're singing all these great things, right? The sun's shining down on me, blessed be your name the world's all as it should be, blessed be your name. You're like, this song's kind of rocking. This song's kind of sweet. And then you get to the bridge, and it says, you give and take away. You give and take away. My heart will choose to say, Lord, blessed be your name. Who sang those words this morning by a show of hands? Who thought about the words that you were saying when you sang those words? This is a horrible bridge. I mean, musically, it's okay, but the words are horrible. This is the, this is the part of worship for me that's the biggest hang-up. Because here's the reality. We don't worship God in a vacuum. Let's be honest. Our view of God's worthiness runs through a filter of our own circumstances. And how is life going right now? Agreed? Just just me? Agreed? God's worthiness, I'm, I'll say it again. Our view of God's worthiness runs through a filter of how's life going so far for me? Are we in discomfort? Do we have chronic pain? Are we disappointed? Do we think God is withholding? Do we think God should have intervened in a situation in our life? Do we think God should have been more active and now we're carrying the pain? Did we get that job? Did we get that date? Did we pay all the bills this month? You give and take away. You give and take away, yet my heart will choose to say, blessed be your name. Are you kidding me? Thanks, Norm. Reconciling our lives and the nuances of our stories with the idea that God is good and worthy of our affections can be difficult, if not impossible. Amen? So many of us have believed that a lack of hardship in our life would then be proof of God's goodness. Amen? A lack of hardship in our life would then be proof of God's goodness. Amen? We we believe that. I know so many of you believe that because we have conversations about it all the time. I believe that. I'm confessing to you that I believe that. And the amount of worth of God runs parallel and congruent to the amount of comfort I'm experiencing. Problem is this, Jesus said the exact opposite. It's harsh. John chapter 13, 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's talking about a hardship that's coming their way. And he says this, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. In me you may have peace, but in this world you will have trouble. We like Jesus' promises, usually, right? (laughs) Take up your cross, deny yourself. It'll cost you everything. I promise it. Come follow me. Eh, I don't know if I want to do that. In me, you'll have peace. In the world, you will have trouble. I guarantee it. In my lowest season... After reuniting one of our foster kids with their biological mom, I found it impossible to connect with God in music, and I found it impossible to connect with God in my regular reading plans in the scriptures. And I struggled for months. And I was full of resentment and anger and disappointment and frustration. God had not acted, in my opinion, in the way that God should have. And I was protective of Tina. And I was protective of the kids as I saw them grieving. And I was seething that God did not intervene in the way that I wanted and what I thought was best for this child. And John 16 says, in me, you may have peace. For months, I didn't. So she doesn't know this, but... The first time that I felt a crack in the hardness of my heart, I was upstairs distracting myself. And from Downstairs, I heard the song, Reckless Love, being played on repeat on YouTube in our living room, and I walked in, and I found Tina just sitting there, and she was letting the words kind of bounce into her. She was letting the words kind of break in. And as I sat in that space with her, they began to start to splash onto me and kind of started to weaken the super hard soil. And my heart started to soften because as I looked at Tina, I started to realize that though we were carrying the pain and the heartache, that God was using Tina as a way to pray and to be a conduit for a better future. For Isaiah. And that she was Receiving the song as words for him. There's no mountain. There's no mountain I won't climb up. I'm coming after you. And that God would be faithful, and that God would pursue him, and that God would call him by name, and that God would shape him. And that song has become instrumental to me in being able to recall God's faithfulness to meet me in the darkest and the deepest and the roughest spots. The text, John 16, the last part, It gets me, because Jesus says, take heart, take heart, don't give up, don't throw in the towel, because I have overcome the world. How huge is that statement? Is it worthy of worship? That part, when Jesus says he's overcome the world, that's our strength for today. And so for you today, where you are, where you sit, you may need strength. Jesus has overcome the world. This is our strength for today. It's our hope for tomorrow. You may have anxiety thinking about tomorrow. You may have anxiety thinking about the days ahead. This is our hope for tomorrow. Jesus has overcome the world. It's it's the promise of redemption in our stories that Jesus has overcome the world. It's the hope of exodus from our turmoil that Jesus has overcome the world. It's the declaration of resurrection when all that we've been doing is tasting death after death after death that Jesus has overcome the world. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The hour is coming, and it now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And so this morning, it's the worshiping and truth part that I really want to challenge you on. It's the worshiping and truth part that, for me, always seems to be under attack. It's the worshiping and truth part where the enemy actually creeps in and says, "Uh, Jesus is going to find out you're a phony. You get too close to Jesus, he's gonna find out you're an imposter, that you don't really believe all of this stuff. And so I put distance there. The worshiping and truth part always seems to be under attack. And it's dangerous when we make that space and we allow the enemy a foothold because we're equating comfort of our life with whether or not God is good. It's a dangerous thing to do. God is unchanging, but the circumstances in our lives are not. They change drastically, suddenly, and without warning. The rug gets pulled out. That's what the whole story of Job is about. Job systematically loses everything. Wealth, health, family, everything. And then you get to Job Chapter 13, in speaking of God, you find this line where Job says, Though he slay me, yet I will trust him. That's a jacked up verse. Though God slay me, yet I'll trust him. You talk about the evidence adding up that God is not good, yet amidst, The horrid circumstances and all the loss in Job's life, Job did not determine the worthiness of God to be worshiped, to be in question. Instead, Job takes all of his turmoil and his pain and the things that he needs reconciled and he goes directly to God and he drops them in front of him. Answer me this, right? And God gets ticked, how dare you? How dare you? Where were you when I created da 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 -da? right, 13 chapters of stuff? What a great dialogue. How worshipful. And if we're honest, we can find that more of our focus, more of our intentionality, more of the direction of our heart goes towards those things that we carry more than they go towards the one who says, come to me, you who are weary, I'll give you rest. My burden's light, my yoke is easy. It's a struggle. I was actually just having this exact conversation with a friend this week. He sat on his couch and he was recounting his life that there had been disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, and they were disappointments that at the time, he had said, I've heard from God, I will marry this person. That marriage has ended in a a horrible, ugly divorce. He heard from God, I'll do this, it fell apart. He heard from God, I'll do this, it fell apart. And he sat on his couch, And I said to him, you know, it can be pretty dangerous if we start to measure whether we're hearing from God based on whether or not we like the outcomes. He didn't like that. I didn't like it. His statement to me was, I thought I was hearing from God but every road has led me to heartache. In life, there is heartache, but God is still good. This is why it's so important for us to have predictable patterns of worship. We need, I need, to regularly be coming back to truth, I need to be reminded of the promises in the scriptures, and we need to remind each other. We need to encourage each other along the way. We need to declare and recount God's faithfulness in the midst of our stormy lives. This is why we always encourage setting up predictable patterns, because we never know when the truth that God is good is going to be under question. Amen? God's promise to us in this life isn't that it would be without pain or without trouble, but God's promise is that he would be with us in the trouble. God would be with us in the trouble. It's Emmanuel, it's the name, God with us. So all of life of worship means this that we allow all our various worlds to collide. And in that collision we experience brutal honesty with God. And God says that's worship. We allow our doubts and our faith to collide. We allow our hopes and our disappointments to collide. We allow our deaths and the resurrection that Jesus holds for us to collide. And Jesus says, I am Emmanuel. I am God with you in the collision. We do believe that God is good. That does not mean that we believe that life is good. As I got into this talk, I didn't really want to do this talk, just so you guys know. Because I didn't really believe the value. Like, But this is where I've come to with it. My take on all of life is worship would probably more accurately be stated that all of life is an opportunity for worship. That all of life is an opportunity for worship. And I'm, I'm going to sum it up this way. Worshiping in spirit and in truth looks like this for me. And if you were going to write something down, you were, wait, you, you were real excited about taking notes, this would be the one thing that you take notes on. Or, or if you wanted to screenshot it on our mini screen back there. Here's what I think about when I think about spirit and truth. When I think about worshiping, I think about Intentionality. And so this is me saying that I am not God and that I want to connect with God and that somehow my spirit needs to connect with God's spirit. And that, that looks different day to day. Sometimes it's in uh, prayer. Sometimes it can be, in a, uh, for me, in a prayer language where I'm trying to bypass the logic of my head and just allow my spirit to connect with God's spirit. Sometimes this happens in nature. But there's an intentionality of saying that I am not God. I am, I'm stepping off of that throne because I have a tendency to continue to get back on it. And I desperately need to connect with God. When I think about worship, I think about directionality i want to lean even in the least bit towards god with with all with all that i'm carrying all that i'm processing all that is unanswered all that would be summed up as mystery i i just want to lean at least one degree at least one degree in god's direction and what i have found is that God has been so faithful to me to make up the other degrees. It's like when I do an about-face, all of a sudden, like, God's spirit's like, he's looking at us. He didn't forget about us. Come on, hey, Jesus, come on, let's go. Nate turned one degree. Send the troops in. When I think about worship, I think about honesty. And this is super vulnerable. But I think about showing up with a fullness of heart. Whether I'm up or down, whether I'm high or low, whether I have praise or I have contempt. Either way, I'm showing up with fullness of heart and I'm allowing God exposure to all of it. The thing that I've found is that God can handle it and that God is not easily offended by what I would consider perhaps heresy. So when I think of worship, I think of intentionality, directionality, honesty, and then lastly, consistency. Consistency for me means that you decide to commit to a predictable pattern. And in doing so, you're making space for truth. You're making space for truth. You're making space to be reminded of something that you've forgotten You're making space for someone else's story to recount God's faithfulness where your faith is lacking. You're making space, it's like, I think of a paddle wheel on a river. And so a predictable pattern is like this paddle wheel where you have a rhythm of reminding. Because I'm prone to wander. My heart is prone to leave the God I love and I need that. So this morning you might be struggling with whether or not God is good. I can't convince you of that. Ken Burt might be able to with his apologetics. I'm not an apologetics guy. I can't convince you that God is good. God's Spirit can and I've already asked for that and I'll ask for it again. Lord. You call people by name. You reveal yourself to them. You ex- expose what is there. And like you said to, this, to the disciples, oh, the, the Father did that for you. That was a good work. May that be said of us in here. But what I can declare to you is that our God is extremely gracious. And so our attempts towards worship bring honor. And our attempts towards worship uh, meet him, meet God in the seeking as God is seeking those that would worship in spirit and truth. And so this morning, I pray that you would hear from the spirit exactly what is right for you. Some needed to hear a heavy challenge and I hope that you did. Others, when you experience God's great invitation to say, come and know me, come and taste and see that I'm good. And we'll let the Spirit of God sort that out. So let me pray. So we invite your Spirit, and we say um, continue your work, and continue to reveal your heart. Continue to reveal your majesty, continue to reveal your glory, continue to reveal your withness. Continue to reveal that you are not far off or that you're near us. Continue to reveal that you are in our stories. Continue to reveal your hope your exodus and your resurrection and with our breath we praise you we pray in Jesus name amen would you